turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today is entitled The Politics of Persecution. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Remember, you can always go to reachingyourheart.com to listen to this message again in its entirety without interruption. We will only be able to bring you the first portion of this message today, but we'll conclude it tomorrow. So stay tuned or go ahead and go to the website reachingyourheart.com at the conclusion of today's message. I will have some other additional information at the close of our broadcast today, so stay with us for just a few seconds afterwards. Let's get underway. Here's our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, if we really believe that we're living in the time of the end, then at some point we have to really believe that persecution can begin. And when that happens, everything changes. Our nice, predictable, easy life compared to the rest of the world changes. May we have the mind of Christ today, the attitude that is willing to study the Bible like our lives depend on it. And may you remove from us any kind of spiritual lethargy and laziness that prevents us from withstanding persecution. And may we live for the living Lord And if necessary, die for him and live forever with him. Give us the mind of Christ today in Jesus' name. Amen. The second century Christian, early Christian, Tertullian, described the general attitude of the world toward Christians in his day when things got bad. He put it very clearly and simply. He said, if the Tiber rises too high or the Nile too low, the remedy is always feeding Christians to the lions. Amazing statement here. He was describing the political attitude of unbelievers toward Christians in time of crisis. In recent days, we have seen the creation of the Islamic Syrian state of the Levant called ISIS. The Levant means the countries bordering on the eastern Mediterranean, generally the Middle East, a little bit more. The last S in this acronym, ISIS, comes from Al-Sham, meaning Levant, Syria, or even Damascus, depending on who you're talking to. But in recent days, ISIS, this new caliphate state, has gained control of large sections of land in eastern Syria and western Iraq. And what they have been doing has been shocking the world. Have you been following it all on the news? I mean, amazing. We have seen the emergence of the equivalent of a caliphate in an Islamic state led by a supreme religious leader, a caliph, sometimes it's called a caliph, depending on who you talk to. And that person is supposedly a successor to the prophet Muhammad, the greatest prophets of all the prophets for Islam. So in other words, this great charismatic leader in this theocratic state dedicated to the ideals of the early Islamic rise to power, its desire to overtake the world. We're seeing a small picture of it right now in Syria and Iraq. In this modern caliphate, there is no room for Christians. It's clear. 
You either convert to Islam or you die. What would you do if you were put in the place where you had to make a decision like that? What would you do? Would you remain loyal to Jesus or would you convert to save your neck? You are looking at a horrible picture that is not a Hollywood special effects scene. You're looking at some young teenage Christians who have been crucified by ISIS because they would not deny Jesus Christ. That's what you're looking at right there. When I saw this picture, I was stunned. The so-called Christian West has been virtually paralyzed in the face of such horrific behavior. How do you talk to people who will treat people of other faiths like that? How do you interact with them? But more profoundly, what would you do if you were persecuted like this yourself? Jesus told us plainly that what most people would do in the parable of the sower. The seed on rocky ground is the kind of seed that gives up in times of persecution. Mark 4.16 And these in like manner are the ones sown by the rocky ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises and then he's very clear on account of the word immediately they fall away. I mean, people are are, are quick to get baptized, quick to uh, interact with others in a happy fashion, but as soon as their life is on the line, the tendency is to give it up. So when people are asked to stand for the truth, it's easier to stand for nothing rather than to die for something that is really important. You know, the survival instinct is one of the most important instincts in the animal kingdom. And there have been plenty of men and women in history who would rather save their skin than give it up for God. Am I right or wrong? Okay. The devil knew this. And he challenged God concerning Job. In Job 2.4, Satan answered the Lord. He said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. You know, for every Christian martyr throughout the centuries... The truth has been borne witness to. They have stood their ground for God. They have made a clear statement that no, they care more about Christ than their own skin. That Satan's claim against Job is false and that they do in fact believe in God enough to lay down their life for Him. Now, what a statement to make in the heavenly courts. Imagine what the angels thought. Now, we know what they thought because centuries later, when Christ died on the cross, there's an interaction with this verse. Revelation 12.10 And I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ have come. Now it's speaking of the victory of the cross. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And then this amazing verse, verse 11, And they have conquered Him, meaning the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. The devil said, skin for skin, a man will give anything for his life. And the angels heard that claim in heaven. One Christian martyr after another bore witness to the truth by the word of their testimony as they died in the flames or they were executed in various and many ways that they loved not their lives even unto death. They loved Jesus more than anything else. You know, what is it to be a Christian these days? I mean, if you watch the television, you interact with popular Christianity, very often being a Christian is something that Christianity does for you. It meets your needs. It fulfills your vision of the future, your plans, your financial future. It's scripted to make you successful. 
Well, that has nothing to do with what it means to be a Christian. Friend, to be a Christian means you love the Lord Jesus because Christ died for you. And that gift of forgiveness, that gift of acceptance is supreme. It maps out your commitments for the rest of your life. And if necessary, you die for Christ. Christ died for our sins and God has forgiven us in Jesus. I'll pause long. Isn't that an amazing truth? Christ died for my sins and God has forgiven me in Jesus. Wow. I mean, let it just soak in. Wow. And a Christian ought to be willing to die for Jesus, right? What? Yeah. Today, many Christians are unwilling to live for Jesus. That's problematic. So why would they die for Him? If you die to self every day in repentance and prayer, you'll be ready if God asks you to die for Him at the right time, if you need to. Tertullian put it right, if the Tiber rises too high, the Nile too low, the remedy is always feeding Christians to the lions. It's a fact of history that both atheism and paganism have had no trouble persecuting Christians. You know, some people think, well, you know, atheism is this passive force in history. Well, Stalin was an atheist. Millions of people died. Oppression of Christians. China. It's a fact. But it's also true that other religions have persecuted Christians too. But the unbelievable thing, and this is the real shocker of Bible prophecy, the books of Daniel Revelation predicted that professed Christians would persecute Christians. I mean, who would ever think that more Christians have been killed by Christians than any other force in history. But it's true. The politics of persecution is broad because evil is always a coalition that surrenders truth for expediency to destroy the servants of truth. Christ framed the principle for how it works in clearest terms. John 16, 1-3. He said, I have said all this to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. Now, Christ's statement here is not for the purpose of scaring you into the church. Jesus wants every one of us to stand for the truth, to stand for him no matter what it means in life. Why? Because he wants us to be saved. He has an altruistic reason for this statement. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants every single Christian to pass the test at the end of time and receive a crown of victory. So he's proactive toward that end. He said, I have said all of this to you to keep you from falling away. Jesus says here that persecution would first be manifested by an intentional religious segregation. There would be an attempt to push his people out of the culture of Judaism. He said they will put you out of the synagogues. Believers who were loyal to Jesus were considered no longer as faithful Jews, and so they were removed from the Jewish synagogue culture by force. And the power of the state was utilized to further make it effective. Two verses illustrate the fulfillment of Jesus' words. Turn with me to Acts 8, verse 1. Acts 8, 1. And Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. And on that day, what does it say? A great... Persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now go down to Acts 13.50. 13.50. 
But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said they'll put you out of the synagogues. And it didn't take long, and that was happening right there in the first centuries. First century. The Greek name for church in, in the original language of the New Testament is called the called out ones. Because the church of Jesus Christ is intrinsically a place where people gather who have been called out from the world. And there are religions out there and there are churches out there that are, that are not part of Christ's kingdom because they are, they are absolutely in sync with the world and not in sync with the Lord. In John 16, 2, Jesus said, The hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. Now, if you think that was something just for the early church, no, it's not. That is something that we will see soon at the very end of time. And Christ is quick to add that they will do this because they don't know me or the Father. Friend, God does not motivate people to be converted by scaring them into the baptistry of the church by force of arms. He doesn't convert people with a sword or a whip or threats of hellfire. Have you ever heard a good hellfire sermon? Anybody here? You have? I have never heard a good hellfire sermon that uses fear to motivate people to be saved. Can you scare someone into the kingdom of God? No. You can only scare someone into the church, maybe. You might scare them, but that doesn't convert someone. Friend, God's kingdom is based on love, and God desires the service of love in the church because God is love. He doesn't want anyone to worship Him because of any other motive than love. And love cannot be commanded. It must be freely given. It's a privilege to be baptized as a Christian into the church. Am I right? Yes. Why? Because Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible, how does it go? Tells me so, and the cross proves it. That's why a person is baptized. For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Buried with Him in baptism means His death has become my life. Friend, raised with Him in baptism means His resurrection has become my hope. And I can have a new life and I can be raised from the dead for Him unto eternal life because it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's worth giving up the world to have the riches of God that are found only in Jesus. Isn't it? Am I right? It's worth surrendering to have Him. Isn't it? If if someone has to pressure you to be baptized, then you don't need to be baptized until you're willing to give up your sin. Unless you're converted, why get baptized? You must want His life more than your life, and that is when you're ready to enter the waters of baptism. Jesus takes you where you're at, but He doesn't leave you there. He gives you a new life without condemnation as His life in you. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now, what does it say? No condemnation for those who are... In Christ Jesus. I mean, I don't like being condemned. Do you? I don't want God's condemnation. I like scowls from other people. Do you realize in Jesus, you are not condemned. You are not the object of shame as far as God is concerned. The universe looks at you as if you are as clean and as righteous as the Lord Jesus Himself. What a great gift. Friend, God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn you. 
to condemn the world or to condemn your enemy, but to save the world. Christ was the messenger of the covenant. And as the great messenger of the covenant, He came into this world with the message of God's mercy. John 3.17 For God sent the Son into the world. And then He says this, Not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Verse 47 of John 12 If anyone hears My sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. People who condemn others and force them to believe by persecution don't know God or Jesus at all. And Christ says that believers would come to the point where they would try to kill you because they think that they are doing a service for God. Now this week we saw it in the international news that ISIS has targeted the Pope of Rome. Are you aware of that? It's true. Now the papacy is playing it down. No religion has a right to strike out against the leader of another because it thinks it has the right to kill that person in the name of God. Period. We should pray for Francis in this regard. He has a right for mercy like any other person in the world has a right for mercy. Am I correct? And so we see hatred in the Middle East right now. It's really something. The whole world is retooling Western civilization based on what we're observing. And Jesus says that believers would come to the point where they would try to kill you because they think they're doing a service for God. It's possible for Christians to do exactly the same thing that we see ISIS doing. The Bible predicts that well-meaning Christians in the future will persecute other Christians to force them to accept the truth as they see it. And they will manipulate, like ISIS has done, the power of political arms and the force of arms to make the state do it. The mark of the beast that is coming upon the world is over worship. And atheism is not about worship. The mark of the beast is not about an atheistic test at the end of time. It's about unbelief. It's an attack upon the core of the Christian faith, the core of the Bible's teachings. And you have to have some measure of faith to force people to worship your way. And that's what the mark of the beast test is. It's not the true faith, but it's a faith that acts like it is that causes people to die. Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw another beast which rose out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. Based on Daniel 7, 23, a beast is a kingdom. The beast of Revelation 13, 1-10 is the biggest and the baddest beast of all. And Revelation 11.15 says the world itself is a kingdom. It calls it the kingdom of the world. The Antichrist is the head of a world kingdom system because the world always tries to take the place of Jesus Christ in your life. The Antichrist is against Christ. The word anti can mean instead of Christ. The big bad beast is followed by a lamb-like beast at the end of time that acts like the big bad beast because it's a global superpower too, but it's not the big bad beast. It's the false prophet, according to the book of Revelation, that leads the world back to the big bad beast. And this second beast is a lamb-like beast. So what's happening? The Bible predicts that a superpower would arise at the end of time and that it would help the nations of the earth by persecution to form a global union to persecute God's people. And so this lamb-like beast is like John the Baptist. It leads the way to prepare the world for that fusion. 
Unlike the first beast, it has no crowns on its horns because it has no monarchy in its history. It was founded on lamb-like Christian principles of tolerance, of freedom, respect for property and liberty. In God we trust is something the lamb-like beast would say because it's in the character of a lamb-like Christian king to speak this way. But eventually this lamb-like beast that has no king, which was conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, will speak like a dragon and persecute people just like the big bad beast did. And it will do what happened in Jesus' day. It moves from a Christian phase to a dragon phase. It speaks as a lamb and then it speaks as a dragon. Friend, the day of the dragon is coming to the United States of America. If you think that we're free from what you're seeing in the Middle East for long, you're wrong. Bible prophecy predicts that what we are seeing around the world will come to freedom's shore and one day there will be blood on the stars and stripes. Revelation 13, 12. It makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. I mean, it's about worship. This notion that end time events is about anything other than the big things of the Bible, the important things of God's word, is a fallacy. It's about worship. It will force a false form of worship. The Bible teaches that one day the United States of America will do what ISIS is doing. It will force people to worship the world kingdom beast that is coming into existence. It will force the inhabitants of the earth to break the law of God and to deny Jesus Christ in the most real kind of terms. Worship or die will come to the United States of America and there will be blood on the stars and stripes. Revelation 13, 13, it works great signs. Even making fire come down to heaven, to earth, in the sight of men. And by the signs which it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast... It deceives those who dwell on the earth, bidding them. That means commanding them, making them. Make an image for the beast which was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast should even speak and to cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. It will try one day to force people to worship by controlling them economically. By forcing them to not buy or sell unless they comply with the state's demands to obey the law of the state instead of the law of God. Now, I, I would have never thought that was possible in my lifetime until recent years. Since 9-11, anything is possible in this country. For the first time in United States history, our country has moved a little bit this way by forcing people to buy something and penalizing them if they refuse, even if it's for a good thing. We are no longer a free market republic as we used to be. Every aspect of the economy is scrutinized by computers here and there so the all-seeing eye can tell what you're doing and get you in trouble if necessary to make you comply. Friend, one day there will be blood on the stars and stripes and freedom will be found no more on freedom's shore. Bible prophecy predicts that this lamb-like Christian beast that has no crown, that's not a monarchy, that is a republic without a king, the United States of America, will build an image to the world kingdom beast that is emerging at the end of time. The world will not morph to look like the United States. The United States will morph to look like the world. And there will be a unified world order just before Jesus comes back that uses its full energy to destroy the faithful church of God from off of the face of planet Earth. Revelation 13, 16. It causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the forehead 
so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Friend, the politics of persecution is based on the relationship of Jesus to his people. Christ put it this way, John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. The the study of eschatology, of end time events, is the study of Jesus' end as the pattern for the end. You see, what happened to Christ is prophetic. What they did to him that brought his crucifixion is a prophetic picture of what they're going to do to the church that will bring the end to the world. In John 5, Christ healed a man on the Sabbath day. He said, take your bed, get up, and go home. In Matthew 12, Jesus fed the hungry on the Sabbath day. In Matthew 12, 13, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day. And it made the Jewish leaders mad that he would heal on the real Lord's day, which is Saturday, the Sabbath. And Christ was crucified in part because of a false idea concerning the Sabbath day. They persecuted Jesus because he chose the Sabbath day as the special day for the healing of the human race. So what was the response? Look at John 5.18. This is why the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath as far as they were concerned, but also called God his Father, making himself equal with God. They crucified Christ because he did not conform to their ideas of proper Sabbath keeping. Well, there you have it, the first portion of The Politics of Persecution. Today's Reaching Your Heart. We appreciate you listening. Remember, you can go to reachingyourheart.com and listen to the entire message without interruption under the broadcast schedule on the main page. That's reachingyourheart.com. We'd love to have you at the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. At 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you forget that, it's available on the website. Thanks for listening. And as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart.